0: We're going to return to our series through the book of Daniel tonight. This is our Wednesday night series. We'll be in Daniel chapter 9 again. We are currently studying the 70-week prophecy God gave to Daniel through the angel Gabriel. And it is found in verses 24 through 27. Let me read those now. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations... He shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So we've already spent four weeks in this section. If you missed any of the messages, please go back and listen because you really need to hear them all to get how all this connects together. It's too much to try to recap at this point. And you especially need to go back and listen to it if how I am teaching this is new to you. I mentioned last week how important it is that we understand this prophecy because how you interpret this is going to impact the way you interpret end-time prophecy throughout the rest of the Bible. This is a watershed passage. And no verse is going to illustrate that more than the verse we have arrived at tonight, verse 27. So let's begin by looking at the first half of verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. So who is the covenant confirmer? That's the million-dollar question. And in answering this, I have labored in explaining how we must stay within the context. The context of who this is began in verse 25 when we read, Unto the Messiah, the Prince. There's no reason to change the context. In verse 26, the Messiah would be cut off, which must refer back to the Messiah, the Prince of verse 25. Likewise, when we read about the people of the Prince in verse 26, the Prince must be the same Prince as verse 25. Therefore, when we come to verse 27, if we don't force the Antichrist to show up out of nowhere, then the context still has to be the Messiah, the Prince. And if this is true, which I strongly believe that it is, then the covenant confirmer of verse 27 must be Christ, the Messiah, the Prince. But many are being taught today the covenant confirmer is the Antichrist. How is it that this prophecy, you can have groups of believers who see two polar opposites, I'm just asking, I'm not knocking. How can we have a group that says, no, it's Antichrist, and have a group that says, no, it's Christ? Those are two diametrically opposed people. It's just interesting. I came across what I consider to be a very troubling quote by Clarence Larkin in his book on Daniel. He wrote this, and for what it's worth, I came across this when I was in chapter 8, but I saved it until now. He wrote this, For it is worthy of note that while the prophecies of Isaiah relate mainly to the Christ, the visions of Daniel are for the purpose of unveiling the Antichrist. Wow! That's quite a statement, seeing how none of Daniel's visions so far have even mentioned an Antichrist. They mention a little horn arising out of the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire. They foreshadow the coming man of sin. But where has the Antichrist been directly unveiled? It's only possible if we start making assumptions. Amen? Now, I'm lower casing Antichrist just to make the devil mad. Somebody say amen right there. So don't come to me and say, you didn't capitalize it. That's yeah, on purpose. Um, now... An entire end time position exists because of an assumption. Now it's interesting, those who see Antichrist in verse 27 use this verse as their proof text that the Antichrist will make a seven year peace agreement with Israel and then halfway through he'll break that agreement and will desecrate a future third temple. But we need to slow down and we need to read exactly what it says We need to go methodically here and not just read it with an assumption. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. So let's just assume for a moment that this is referring to the Antichrist as the one who will confirm the covenant. Where does verse 27 say that a covenant is broken. If we're honest, it never says that. Nowhere in this verse does it ever say a covenant is broken. Not only not in this verse, you can't find anywhere in the Scripture where an Antichrist makes a covenant and then breaks it with anybody. Nowhere. And this is the proof text for this teaching, and yet this verse doesn't say it. Is everybody okay? Multitudes make this passage to say, the Antichrist will make and then break a covenant with Israel, but all it says is, in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now, How is causing the sacrifice and the oblation to cease breaking a covenant? It isn't. The only way it can be is if we force an assumption of what we want it to say. I think it's clear that the ceasing of the sacrifice and oblation is simply something which is going to occur as a result of this covenant being confirmed. Now, here's something for our consideration. It's important to understand that this is a covenant which is being confirmed. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Galatians 3.15 says, brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuleth or addeth thereto. The Apostle Paul explains that even a man's covenant, once it is confirmed, it cannot be added to, and it cannot be disannulled, which means it cannot be set aside or canceled. And remember from verse 24 that these 70 weeks are determined. They are cut out. And if this covenant is confirmed in the 70th week, which I think is clear, then how can any of this take place in the future under an Antichrist who will supposedly disannul or set aside his covenant with Israel? It doesn't make sense then. It cannot be confirmed. Are you picking up what I'm trying to put down? So if this is referring to a future covenant by the Antichrist with Israel, and if this is saying he will break that covenant halfway through, then we are missing a half week which... Was never determined or confirmed. And if three and a half years is dropped by the Antichrist from the originally agreed upon seven years, then according to Paul, the covenant was disannulled. Therefore, it could have never been considered confirmed. I think this is an interesting point to consider. I'm not saying I would necessarily hang my hat on this, but I think it's pretty interesting in light of what Paul wrote about a man's covenant, and if if that's what he said about a man's covenant, how much more with God's covenants. So all seven years would have to be accomplished as agreed upon uh, according to what we're reading here. Now here's the bottom line. If you look up covenants throughout your Bible, you will never find anywhere... Where an antichrist makes a covenant with anyone and then breaks it. This verse doesn't even say it. On the other hand, we do find where God confirms covenants. And if the covenant confirmer is Christ, we ought to find evidence in the Bible. Right? Even if it's antichrist, you ought to find evidence for it. If it's Christ, then the confirmed covenant must be the new covenant. So with this in mind, with Christ in mind and not Antichrist, let's consider this confirmed covenant. This will be very brief, not exhaustive, but I just want to lay some groundwork here for what I'm trying to say. So God entered into a covenant with Abraham. It was an everlasting covenant. Genesis 17, 4-7 says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Hang on to that word, Many. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of these, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Not only did God enter into a covenant with Abraham, he entered into a covenant with David. It's an everlasting covenant as well. Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 12-13 through 13, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Not on the slide. I'll, I'll, I'll get to another verse here in a minute, but let me read you Psalm 89, 3 and 4. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations, Selah. And then 2 Samuel 23 and verse 5. Although my house be not so with God, this David speaking, yet he hath made me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Now both of these Covenants, they ultimately have their fulfillment in Christ, which means they are both going to be fulfilled under the new covenant. This is why our New Testament opens with this great verse, Matthew 1.1. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now the words testament and covenant, they're synonymous. In fact, they're the same Greek word in our Bible. Therefore, the account of the New Testament, or the New Covenant, it begins by letting us know that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of both everlasting covenants, those made to Abraham and to David. Now remember how Daniel chapter 9, it's all set in motion because Daniel was reading the prophet Jeremiah. And he understood the number of years for Jerusalem to be in desolation was going to be 70 years. And he would have read this in Jeremiah twenty nine ten. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you, and perform my, uh, excuse me, and perform my good word towards you, and causing you to return to this place. Now, which covenant would Daniel have read about in that context? It would have been the New Covenant. Jeremiah thirty one verses thirty one through thirty four. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. In other words, it's not going to be the old covenant. Uh, Which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Whoop. Amen. Now, let's remember why Christ came to earth. I'm, we could say a lot of things, but in, in light of this verse of Daniel nine twenty seven, Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 63, it says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all that hate us. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Christ arrived in the fullness of time. Amen. Amen. Because God made a covenant with Abraham. That all nations would be blessed in him. And he had to confirm that covenant. Christ arrived because God also made a covenant with David. And He said that of His lineage, a king would sit upon the throne. It was going to be an eternal throne, amen, of an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God. And God had to confirm that covenant. And He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, if we understand the He of verse 27 as the Messiah from the previous verse, then what we'll find is a perfect fulfillment of this prophecy in the New Testament. Just consider what we call the Last Supper. This is what we read in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, this agrees perfectly with Daniel 9.27. As long as we're not trying to force somebody to show up who's never been mentioned. Just let the Bible say what it says. Now, if Daniel was thinking about the New Covenant, which makes sense contextually from what he would have been reading out of Jeremiah then it stands the reason God was giving Daniel when this new covenant would be confirmed with many. Isaiah 53.11 says, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Luke 2.34 And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, behold, This child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Matthew 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. Who is the covenant being confirmed with? Many. It's so so clear in Scriptures. The, the many are those who have entered into the new covenant by faith in Christ's finished work. If you're saved tonight, you're underneath the new covenant. Amen. He has shed his blood to confirm this covenant without a doubt. Christ confirmed a covenant. You have to decide if that covenant is the one mentioned in Daniel 9:27. Isaiah 42, 6, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. Malachi 3, 1, Behold, I send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Galatians 3, 16 and 17, it's not going to get much clearer than this. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, listen now, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ. What covenant? The new covenant. I don't understand all this talk about how the new covenant hasn't been confirmed yet. But that's what a lot of people are teaching in dispensationalism. That somewhere down the line, it's still going to come to pass because God still owes this to Israel and Judah. No, no, no. It's already been confirmed. If it isn't, what covenant are we under? Sorry, I get fired up sometimes, amen. It's Wednesday night. Can't preach on Wednesday night. The covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ... The law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul... (laughs) I love it. ...that it should make the promise of none effect. This is so clear. This is so clear. Well, in case it's not, let's read some more. Hebrews 8, verses 6 through 13. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises... For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their father in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. <laughs> Sorry, we're just quoting Jeremiah 31 now. Because they continue not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant. He made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. We're not done yet. Hebrews 9.15 And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament. Covenant. Covenant that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament or under that first covenant, the law covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Hebrews 12, 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. <laughs> How can it be future? I don't understand that. Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, into the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Hebrews 13.20 Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Whew! Clearly, there are far more verses declaring Christ confirmed a covenant than there are verses stating that the Antichrist will confirm a covenant. In fact, there are no verses which ever say The Antichrist confirms a covenant. Not even Daniel 9, 27. Jesus did confirm the covenant with many through His blood. He is the only biblical covenant confirmer in all the New Testament. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. For the remission of sins. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen. Our sins are washed away in His blood. So Christ is the covenant confirmer. Let's move on. And He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week, He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. The Hebrew word for midst means half or the middle. It's most often translated as half. With a week being seven years, then in the midst of the week would mean three and a half years into the 70th week, the sacrifice and oblation should be caused to cease. Well, it, quote, just so happens it was three and a half years between Christ's baptism when the Most Holy was anointed and his death. You can figure that out by studying the Gospel of John. Christ was crucified in the midst of the 70th week. Three and a half years into His ministry. It, it just goes perfect with Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblations or oblation to cease. Just to state this very simply, a sacrifice would be a bloody sacrifice. An oblation would be a non-bloody sacrifice. They're both contained under the old covenant. So the question is, would Christ's sacrificial death have affected the sacrifice and oblation? (laughs) Absolutely. Amen? If the covenant confirmer is Christ, and if the covenant confirmed is the new covenant, then what would have to cease? Logically, it would be the Old Covenant. And the sacrifice and the oblation are both found under the Old Covenant. Christ is the fulfillment of what all the Old Covenant sacrifices pictured. Remember, they were just foreshadows. They were just showing types. When Christ offered Himself, the need for the Old Covenant sacrifices ceased. Now, people can offer sacrifices all they want. But in God's eyes, they're done. They were done. God made this crystal clear on crucifixion day. Mark 15, 37 and 38. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Whoop! That's where we take a lap right there. The veil was rent in two. What is God saying? I'm done with it. Access into the Holy of Holies is now open. Open whosoever will can come before His throne. We don't have to have a high priest. Amen? Our high priest is Jesus Christ. What a blessing. Man, this is good stuff. Y'all need to... What's that saying? This preaching is better than y'all letting on? Amen. They're loud? I can't hear a thing. Girl, you need to say amen louder. All right. Yeah, Stephanie is the only one I can hear. Amen. Whoo, where are we at? All right. From this point forward, the old covenant sacrifices no longer serve a purpose in God's eyes. Or we could say it this way, the sacrifice and the oblation has ceased. Yep. Hebrews 10, 7 through 9, Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God, above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin, Thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure therein. Which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. What a blessing. Both Daniel 9:27 and Hebrews 10 are in perfect agreement with each other by showing the fulfillment of the old covenant sacrifices with the confirming of the new covenant through Christ's sacrifice. God had no pleasure in those Old Testament sacrifices, but God was well pleased with Christ's sacrifice. Amen. Amen. So, if the New Covenant replaced the Old Covenant, what replaced the sacrifice and oblation? Well, it's the Lord's Memorial Supper. And this also took place three and a half years into the 70th week, or in the midst of the week. The Last Supper would end the Old Covenant Passover. Listen, I just... Man, I'm trying not to get on a soapbox, but I don't understand this movement that somehow we need to be observing the Passover. We've had people leave our church over that kind of thing. Well, y'all don't observe any of the feasts. No, we don't because Christ fulfilled them. The symbolism of sacrifices and oblations would no longer be needed after the true Passover The Lord Himself would give His body and shed His blood. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Good night. That's good. All right, now we're seeing more of the main purposes of this prophecy being fulfilled. Remember that there are six things which need to be fulfilled to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. I've already covered in depth in a previous message, but I believe the anointing of the most holy was Christ at his baptism. If you missed it, go back and listen, please. And now by confirming the new covenant, we see an end of sins, reconciliation for iniquity, and the bringing in of everlasting righteousness. Now, as a reminder, I covered all this in a previous lesson, but just to remind you, to make an end of sins, Hebrews nine twenty five and 26, nor yet that he, he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself to make reconciliation for iniquity Romans 5:10 For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life to bring in everlasting righteousness 2 Corinthians 5:21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him What a blessing some will argue and they'll say, no, 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 this, this hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen when Christ returns and His kingdom is set up. Uh-oh, you got a problem. Because you're probably premillennial, and, you, and at the end of the thousand years, the Bible says that Satan's going to be loosed for a season to deceive the nations. So can, how can it be fulfilled at the beginning of the millennial kingdom if Satan's going to be out deceiving again? It can't be everlasting righteousness. So we have to understand this is what Christ fulfilled On the cross. Dare I say, understand it spiritually. (gasps) Yes. Well, we could also make the argument that this seals up or fulfills the vision and prophecy. But we still need to finish the transgression. And that will be within the 70th week as well. Certainly by then we'll be able to say that All of the vision and prophecy in this section of of the Bible has been fulfilled. So come back for that. In closing, thus far, we have covered 69 and a half weeks. We still need to consider the last three and a half years of the 70th week, and we still need to cover the remainder of verse 27. So... (laughs) If any of this is new to you, don't write me off as a heretic, all right? I hope I'm showing you plainly from the Bible that there is proof to have a different position and not be a lunatic. All right. Well, man, I got through that pretty quick. Let's pray.